This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Michael Petrie, co-founder of Courser. I'm Lori Spiro, the other co-founder of Courser. And we just finished recording a podcast of Fashion Is Your Business. Come check it out. We had a great conversation with Mark and Pavan about our pursuit to create a new category of luxury performance footwear. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fashion Is Your Business. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and of course, the other host, but the more important one today, I'm I'm always sure, Pub and Ball. Uh, I just feel I always want to make you feel special, Pavan. How you doing? Yeah, you just really pour on the compliments. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful way to wake up. Thank you, Mark. It's, you're welcome, my friend. It's like, geez, do I want coffee today or do I want a, a, a shower compliment? shower Pavan with compliments? Uh, <laughs> always awesome. always go with option B. <laughs> um, anyway, good to see you, bud. And uh, I, I I have to tell you, Pavan, we always have a great time on this show. We have great conversations, but every once in a while, you have a conversation. I you're just sort of excited to have, and this is one of them for me, at least. Um, and uh, let's start off by welcoming uh, Lori and Michael to the show. Uh, welcome bo- both of you. Thank you. Where are you coming in from, by the way? Live from New York. Ah, you are in New York. Okay, gotcha. Downtown, Tribeca. Gotcha. Excellent, excellent. Uh, also in New York myself. And uh, I believe Pavin is uh, once again coming. Wish I the, were there, Mark. The great Wish state I were of there. Florida. Yes. Oh, uh, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you do not. You are in Florida and enjoying yourself as you should be. So uh, yep. anyway, welcome to the show, both of you. And um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to say that this is one of a lot of times when we have guests on the show for one reason or another, Pavan and I just simply haven't had an opportunity to experience the product or the service ourselves because maybe it just doesn't apply to our business or or we just haven't had the opportunity. This is not one of those times. Uh, both of us have been lucky to experience your 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 main star product here for Courser. Your uh, what is the name of the sneaker the the star product here? Uh, the Courser Uno. Ah, I love it. So uh, both, I want to start off by just, um, let's start here. Can you tell us what this is? And then I think Pubbin and I can share our own reaction to to having this in our our little hands. Yeah. Corsair Uno is a performance luxury sneaker. So it's designed in, or it's designed in New York, made in Italy. Uh, the concept is really the, the idea of luxury and performance really prior to this have never intersected. But when you get in a lot of other consumer goods, there's an intersect point, and that was the goal of it, and, that, and that's what we feel we created. Okay. Um, that, that's so short-sold it right there. That, uh, there's <laughs> right. so much more. To, that's like saying, yeah, what's a Porsche? Oh, it's a fast car that's beautifully designed. Okay. <laughs> no, well, well I'll, I'll say the, to expand on that and maybe have you expand on that, uh, push it a little bit further. I mean, uh, you know, when – your brand, uh, you know, communication is all about technology, new materials, and performance. Uh, your price tag um, looks like, you know, maybe like a, an exclusive colorway of a Yeezy, um, you know, boost. But 
it, it has performance and is meant for running. It's meant for activity. Uh, so this is not a um, a price point that is or a luxury price point that is kind of propped up due to supply and demand and hype. This is a price point that is driven by quality and luxury, and that I haven't seen uh, in the performance space. Uh, before, so I want to kind of walk through, or have it give you the opportunity to walk through what makes this, um, you know, kind of a, a new or budgeting segment of the the sneaker, or the active running sneaker. I mean, Michael had the idea, and I think it was running around in his brain for a little while before he told me about it. And um, he, when he told me, you know, what he was thinking about that that there was luxury and then there was performance, and that you know, why don't they intersect in sneakers when they do in other categories? I was like, oh my goodness, we have to do this like right now. Like that is, there's just, we both saw this like white space that, you know, nobody was really doing anything. And it's sort of like, oh, how did we not see that earlier? How has, how have other people not really seen that? And what resonated with me so much was, you know, throughout our entire careers in the footwear industry, we would sit through so many meetings with vendors coming in to, you know, show us new technologies, new materials. And for the most part, no matter what brand you work for, you can't afford it, right? It's like you have a price point that you're working to, um, you know, you have to hit so many points of margin. But, and so a lot of brands will say, I love this, but can I get it for $2 a foot? Can I get it for, you know, can I get it $20 cheaper, whatever? It's, it's almost like a race to the bottom. Exactly. Exactly. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, if we were just able to use anything we wanted, if we didn't think about what the shoe was going to cost, and we just went around the world and found the best technologies, the, you know, best materials. And, and that's what we did. So we went on like, just, we pursued the best of, of everything out there. And sometimes we didn't find exactly what we were looking for. And so we developed it and it was, an amazing journey of like, you know, getting exactly what we wanted to put into the sneaker. And we, we looked at every single part of, of the sneaker and really challenged like old thinkings about, you know, or conventional thinkings about why you do things in a running sneaker. And we just thought about it differently. And, and again, didn't really think about, you know, hitting a price point, but what would the best sneaker on earth look like? And, and that's what we, yeah. I think when you do most brands and most designers, right. You're, you're designing to a price point, not necessarily to something else. And so we said, let's just throw that out the window as a startup. We can do whatever we want. We can write our own rules. And in that case, then we said, these are the materials that we know that we want to use. These are the factories that we want to use. And that's, that was the, the onset of it. Right. Well, before we go any further, it would be a miss to the audience if we did not talk about uh, your individual journeys and paths getting to this point that allows you uh, to to launch such a product that is disrupting essentially a full category of footwear. Yeah, so we can. I'm usually long on this, but I'll try and shorten that up like my <laughs> like my intro. Uh, I started my career at Adidas. I'm a longtime athlete. I played pro soccer in England for Tranmere Rovers, where I got to try out. Um, and I always tell people it's the best and worst thing that ever happened to me is they were like, you're, you're really good, but you're not quite good enough. And I had gone back home to, I'm born and raised Philly and I went home, didn't exactly know what I was going to do. And then a friend of mine called me from Adidas and I was lucky enough to get a job at Adidas. And I, when I went there, I went through the front doors of Adidas and said like, yeah, 
this is exactly what my life should be. Like, I, I don't know, there was this like, lightning bolt that came down and struck me. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to work there uh, for five years, category manager in soccer, got to travel the world, meet the best players, design the best shoes on earth, in my opinion, for soccer. Um, you know, it's probably, it was the only category in the world where Adidas was number one at that time. Uh, so you, you could never look over your shoulder. And that's a different mindset. Um, you're never looking at anybody else. You're always designing from the front. Well, actually, I kind of want to um, uh, expand on that. So when you're saying you're designing for them, um, so in my head, it's all creative direction, creative direction, creative direction. Michael Petrie, creative direction, director. Um, you you are designing the shoes itself? Well, I started it as a actually what they call like a, um, a sweeper. So I started in mm-hmm. slides, which was a $40 million, like, you know, gold mine for them at the time. It's like when Foot Locker, everybody was buying Adidas slides. And I, what, what, what year are we talking about? about? Uh, 98. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a gold rush for people in slides at that time, right? Adisage, Adelette, all those things. And we were coming up with all these new colors and spinning them and design all the new. Uh, Adi Dossler himself actually designed the original Adelette, which is insane, right? Most people don't even know them. So we were designing, you know, with, you know, rabbit ears around, new colors, right? Doing new colors for those guys. And... and the whole thing was like these things, you just couldn't make them fast enough. You couldn't come up with new concepts fast enough. And it was just crazy at that time. And at the time, Nike really didn't have a, a pool slide. It was just, it was us and we were all by ourselves. Doing all these- this is probably the time period in which Adidas or Adidas uh, has been a really starting to cl- like claw away at Nike's market share. And at, you know, in 98, I mean, I can only imagine that you were probably like one thirtieth of the size of today in terms of the brand Adidas. So, I mean, you're, really part of that kind of, um, you know, uh, flight path of the brand. Yeah, totally. Um, it was fun. It was like a rocket ship at times. And at times you'd hit a huge pothole and be like, what, what happened to us? But it was cool too, because it's a very old, the, the offices at the time was very open concepts. So you could walk from business unit to business unit. So, you know, original Kobe's were in there. You had, I remember when Kobe was back there with crazy eights and stuff. And we had all kinds of fun shoes floating around and athletes always buzzing through there. So it was a, phenomenal time to be there and it's you know full credit to adidas from from my standpoint i knew nothing when i went there i mean i didn't know a single thing about making shoes and they give you a lot of rope to 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 learn on the fly if you're willing to learn there they really give you a lot of rope to play with there so it was great um and then i left there at the time and i went to uh ralph lauren footwear which was the license was owned by reebok and so this is where you get those moments in life where you're luckier more than you are smart <laughs> so a friend of mine was at Reebok and said any interest in fashion and I was like mm, I don't know maybe and I took the opportunity to go there because I just first of all it was raining eight months a year in Portland and that's hard for me um but it's at the time I also wanted to you know grow and branch out my career and so same thing as Adidas you know I went to Ralph Lauren and I knew nothing about fashion footwear you know what a Hot, you know, 140 millimeter high heel was, or I came out of just kind of performance lifestyle footwear, and in particular, like, you know, sl- slides, cleats, sambas, those kind of things. Um, and it was awesome for me, um, not only professionally, but then I also met my wife and co-founding partner here, which is awesome. oh, you, you, you both met at uh, Polo Ralph Lauren? Yeah. Ah, that is fun. There. No, we were not that smart. We, we, uh, we waited till he moved to Italy <laughs> and then we did a commuting thing between New York and Italy. Uh, yeah. So then I was there for five years and it, the same thing, you know, I was able to make any kind of shoe. In essence, if you put your hand up and said like, I'll do that project, 
Polo would send you. It was like, I didn't know how to make burl wood clogs in Portugal, but I was sure definitely going to get on the plane and go there and do it, right? Like, we'll figure that one out. And so, you know, I made men's and women's kids. I did RLX, polo, polo sport, black label, purple label, every label they've got. Um, men's bespoke out of Italy or out of England and Italy, women's dress out of Brazil. That's a lot of inspiration you're pulling from right there. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy, right? But it's like full credit to them as well. Like they were either bright enough or dumb enough to send me all over the world and say like, this guy can figure it out and you reverse engineer things or you just go for it. Right. And yeah. It's like, and you, uh, and you were, you were bright enough or dumb enough to, to accomplish it and to go after it. So <laughs> here we are. And then, and then, you know, subsequently, of course, uh, some other brands that you've been involved with uh, in a deep capacity is, uh, you know, Prada and, um, and, and fry, which is one of my favorite uh, continues to be my favorite boot uh -huh. company. Um, now, I've got calling card, right? People, a lot of people know me as the fry guy. I mean, the fry guy is a good one. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's got a ring to it. One, um, it could go in many different ways. However, um, I love I love that leather, man. I love how it distresses. It's so good. So the yeah, I was a Prada as the Prada sport guy or Linea Rosa. So I did design direction there, and then I went to Fry as the creative director there. And the whole concept there was, you know, I flipped it from a men's brand to a women's brand. Essentially, we thought we had a really good opportunity there. And in reality, to your point, we wanted to be a leather brand. And so we created, you know, a handbag collection. We went to women's, we went to all these different things. But the whole concept is it's worn in, not worn out. That, that's what I thought it was. Because, you know, distressed leather and leather gets better with age. And so that was our concept. And it, people seem to like it. Yep. And since you've been uh, tagged as the brand whisperer. So, Lori, um, you know, go, going on your side, you, you seem to have extensive um, background as well in, in, in the footwear section. Um, and, of course, that, that journey has, uh, you know, brought you both together, which is Incredible. Can you can you explain it out on your side as well? Sure. Mine is much shorter. Because <laughs> Michael didn't even get to Toomey. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I didn't even talk about Toomey and our friend Charlie. Um, but, yeah, this is my, you know, my favorite bag. Cool, yeah. Yeah, they let me out of footwear for five minutes, and I got to do some bags and luggage and stuff like that. Oh, man, if you, if you, if you, if you design this guy, I, I love it. But we had a – I don't know if you interacted much on the digital with the digital team, but Charlie Cole is a good oh, yeah. friend of the show. No, Charlie, very, very well. Great there guy. you go. Yep. Are you getting flowers from him at FTD yet? Or? No, but I, I but I uh, happened to be in Budapest when uh, there was a board meeting uh, for Samsonite, and oh, yeah. um, and and we all hung out. So I was at Ralph Lauren for most of my career. Um, same thing in footwear, which was a license, and I mean, I I loved it from the moment I got there. For I was there many many years, <laughs> and it was amazing because. We were attached to Ralph Lauren Corporation, which is huge and an amazing company. But the footwear team was relatively small. Uh, when I started, it was owned by, the license was owned by two brothers. Um, and so I had the chance to uh, do everything. Like I just kind of, you know, an opportunity came up and I said, oh, I'll do that. Kind of like Michael, like I traveled the world and, um, and then Reebok bought the license um, and that was a whole different experience interacting with uh, Reebok and kind of in between Reebok and Ralph Lauren Corporate. And I went, I don't know, every place I could possibly go to uh, make shoes. And I just sort of learned it from the bottom up. And um, it was amazing. It was, uh, I don't know, a highlight of my life working there. And, um, and that's why I stayed for so long. And then eventually... Um, Ralph bought the license back from 
uh, from Reebok. So I went through a bunch of different transitions there um, and just, I don't know, loved it. It was great. Uh, and then I uh, left there and went to Kolhan for a short period of time. And then uh, Michael moved back from Italy to do the fry, the fry thing. And uh, so that was amazing because then we were finally in the same city together. Although I do have to say, it was quite lovely. <laughs> like we would meet in Paris for the weekend and we had huh. lots of... Lots of fun times when he was living in Italy. Um, And I I spent a lot of my career uh, working um, in Italy, and I was there many times a year. Um, So it's like one of my favorite places to be. Um, So it was not bad to to visit him there. Um, And anyway, I decided to take some time off to have our daughter. And I don't know. It never actually felt like I was out of the industry, though, because everything he did, we discussed like, you know, nightly and we'd tack them up on the wall and say, so uh, and same thing with with uh, Toomey. I feel like I was there. (laughs) I was a part of that, too, even though. Listen, uh, you're you're part of all the conversations, the post discussions at home, uh, the decisions that go into uh, ultimately uh, which direction uh, Michael goes uh, within uh, within the brands and the, you know, like at, at home, it's the same thing, right? Uh, I mean, when you have that partnership, uh, you're, you're, everyone's vested in each other's career to the capacity of, of course, you, you both have a similar path. Like you have pers- like complete direct perspective on what, what he's doing, probably a deeper understanding of the design and construction side than Michael had at the point he was still formulating that. Right. So, um, really interesting stuff. So, so both of you, uh, in your own ways of very impressive and elaborate and, and incredible backgrounds that offer so much to say, okay, we learn, we've learned a lot. We've experienced a lot. What can we do with that? So, so now your, your current venture Courser, um, how would you say that is the manifestation of everything you've always wanted to do and now you get to do it? Even if this isn't the last chapter of everything you ever do, how is it that everything you've done so far has now led up to this? And you say, ah, that's, that's why, why we learned, learned everything, everything we did and did everything is to execute this. Uh, that's a fantastic question. I, it probably, we probably got pushed a little bit more, I think, than we, um, jumped let's say you know I, people were saying like i don't you guys are wasting your time you should just start your own thing and i always have a million ideas i always have a million ideas and not all of them are great but i just keep coming with them and so um i had had this idea brewing for a while and then i told Lori, and she was like we got to do this immediately and you know we talked to Lori's brother who's our cfo who's you know a former MA guy and he said this is the time and this is the idea to do it and we had bounced it around as a going out on our own as a family um, and, and doing our own brand as a family. And I think uh, it feels right. I don't know. You know, is there ever a right time? It's like somebody said, like, you know, is there ever a right time to have your kid? Are you ever prepared to do this? So it just felt like the time was right for us as a, as a family and as a unit. And it just felt from a knowledge standpoint, um, we had gained a lot. And I think we have a lot to offer as well going the other way. And I think the other thing we talked about is I don't think the brands are doing exactly what we want to achieve right now as well. So all those things sort of come together, right? I don't know if I would go to a different brand or we would go to a different brand and be pleased with the direction that they're taking. Our minds are in someplace else. So that becomes your jump off point. It almost uh, was a calling, right? Like you you had to accomplish it the way that you want to accomplish it. 
it was really great because once we started um, working on it, you know, and we went to people that we knew in Italy and started traveling there and, and working with people, um, our reception there was just amazing. Like mm-hmm. the, the two main factories that we work with in Italy are, I think they're both third generation family factories. They are incredible artisans. They, I mean, work on the best brands on earth and they don't really do startups, you know, <laughs> and they, they really welcomed us in and they were excited to do this like different kind of, of concept. And that to us just felt right. Like everything sort of fell into place by them saying, that's really exciting. Like, that's a really good idea. We want to work on this and we'll do all the crazy stuff that you're asking us to do. And like, you know, we'll push every boundary and like, you know, it was a a very different mindset too. You know, they kept saying, well, how much, you know, can you spend on that? And we were like, no, 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 don't think that way. We just want to make the best and, and they do make the best products. Right. But in terms of performance, it was, you know, Italy actually makes incredible performance shoes. A lot of people kind of forget that, you know, they made the original and still do make like footy boots, you know, for yeah, like all the professional, all the professional players that are made. Um, they're not off the rack. Like they're not from Foot Locker, right? You know, they, they've made incredibly technical products, um, throughout their history. And it's sort of been, I don't know, you don't necessarily think so much about their technical expertise, but it is phenomenal. And all of the really like scientists and technicians that we worked with there were just so excited to do something different and on a, and a different mindset and on a different scale. And, um, so that all just sort of, I don't know, propelled us, right? And it was like, this This feels right. This is... Yeah, it's like one begot the other, right? We were inspired by them. They were inspired by us. It was, it was pretty thrilling. And before we get into talking about the product itself and our own experience, like maybe talking about it through our own experience, the lens of our own experience to unpack every part of it, uh, why the name Courser? How did, that, how did that come to be? And what does that mean? We were... Well, first of all, we're dog lovers, but we were also trying to think of something that was elegant, that had, you know, energy, that had movement. But when you see a a coursing dog, they're very beautiful animals, right? And if Uh you look at breed, you know, we just wanted something that stood out. And you could say, like, this this dog is not only fast, but it's long, it's athletic, and it just has a beautiful build to it. So that was kind of the basis behind it. So this is the greyhound of sneakers. Essentially, yeah, right? (laughs) Or Or whatever, yeah. All right. uh, uh, coming up, uh, we're going to explore the product itself and the thinking that went into its design and materials and what's special about those things uh, through the lens of Puvin and I receiving them um, like little kids on Christmas uh, right after this. What if you could tell your story, the story of your brand, your product, the compelling story of the sourcing of materials or ingredients, or even tips for getting the best use out of your products? What if you could engage your consumer, amplify their experience, or even improve conversion or initiate sales at points they don't usually happen? What if you could connect with your consumer wherever they happen to be, in the store, on your website, 
in the bathroom or even on the go. What would that be worth to you? It's time you learned about StoryDot from Mouth Media Network. Short-form audio stories consumers can access with their smartphone in brick-and-mortar locations, on physical product, or even embedded into your website. It's where commerce, advertising, and the consumer meet. Being competitive requires every advantage you can implement. So discover StoryDot today at www.storydot.com. That's www.storidot.com. Opening up the package was actually a process of delight. It felt itself like a luxurious experience. So before we get into the actual technical design of the, of the sneaker, uh, I'm sorry, should I be referring it in, uh, to it in, in your estimation as a sneaker or as a shoe? What would you say is the more appropriate way to refer to it? Okay. I just wanted to be respectful of how you, you are envisioning it. Okay. So, so this, so for me, it, first of all, you were kind enough to share a, a little handwritten note in our, in our box. Is that just for us or is that actually part of the experience is each person receives some sort of note inside? So we're, we're printing those up actually, as we speak, because Lord we kind of realized, you know, <laughs> I hand wrote this. <laughs> I can't do a million of them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we've kind of realized, um, actually our team tells us this all the time that like, we have to share a bit more of our knowledge. Like we, we sometimes forget, you know, that these are different and we've lived with them for a very long time and we view them differently. Yep. Um, but they are a very different product than most sneakers you'll get. Yep. I mean, we, we go from calling it a shoe or to a sneaker and back and forth. And it's sort of like, it's unlike anything we've ever built. And it's um, because it really is built like a shoe, but with all sorts of technical sneaker, sneaker ingredients with it. So the construction, well, I'm starting to talk about the, how we made but it. You're so excited about it, Lori. It's okay. We've realized that uh, it needs a little bit more, um, explanation and, mm. you know, um, you know, there's the ability of course, to turn your handwriting into a font. I don't know if you guys have already done that, but you should get on that. You have beautiful handwriting, 100%. but man, the scale is just not there. You wow. Can't. That's, that's, but it'd be, it'd be, it would be nice to, to have that personalization, right? Having my name was the exciting part of that whole thing. And then when I matched the, the, pre, oh, yeah. you know, the pre-printed card that you had included, uh, along with my handwritten note, they were the same so I noticed they were the same handwriting, right? So I knew yeah. it must have come from you uh, or yeah. one of you, right? So I think it's a nice touch that, you know, yeah. at $800, 825 price point, um, it's it's one of those surprise and delight moments that you look to do. And, and that goes to say with the whole unboxing experience has been incredible. You know, I've been looking at, you know, uh, just the, the dust bag itself uh, oh is, a pro is a product it's, worth keeping, it's, right? It's beautiful. Um, the, the shoe box, the shoe box itself oh is a product gosh, worth keeping with the, you know, the, uh, the, it's the like watercolored a piece of art. art. Well, it is a piece of art. It's a it's beautiful watercolored. I mean, it, it looks like the 16th chapel. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's really incredible. Did you um, say the, the 16th chapel? Well, the, yeah, the you know number 16. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh, <laughs> 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 
and then you get to the product, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, the the whole thing is 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 designed uh, within it's kind of layers to too. It's like all in layers, like 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 the treasure is at the bottom of all of these lovely layers. And then even when you take the shoe out, then like Pavan said, then there's that artwork. So you're not left with a blank canvas there. It's as if there's just more depth and more depth and more layers, and more layers. Which I think is like the product itself. Go ahead. And 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 the tissue, the tissue paper yeah. has the coarser, uh, you know, the um the 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 gold embossment on it. It's it's just a it's a really beautiful uh you know created experience so before we go into the sneaker itself can you talk about where the that thinking process was as you as you selected those things and decide you know a lot of people don't spend a lot of time talking about probably a, a lot of design thinking and and looking at product samples and how, how did you kind of come to each of those things yeah I, one of the well, I mean, you guys touched on it. One of the big things is the ritual of unboxing for us is, is a big deal. Um, we are constant consumers. We buy a lot of things from a lot of different people. Um, and I think throughout the years, it feels like it's gotten watered down. You're getting boxes and just the idea of like buying a beautiful product and it comes in a poly bag. is like, wait, what did I just get here? When you get it and the exhilaration you get and the feeling that you get just from the physical touching of it, the paper has to be beautiful. The box, the the unboxing of it, you want to just kind of get excited about it versus like this sort of like blase moment. Like, yeah. eh, I guess it's in there, right? And I think the other thing we wanted to do is we wanted a box that you could keep, that you wanted to keep. And, and I, you know, hopefully we've achieved that. But the idea that you buy boxes and then just throw them out yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense because if you have a beautiful box, there's so many different things you can do with it, whether – you know, we have a 10-year-old daughter, so I can't wait till all of her magic markers are in there. Or, you know, you can put other shoes in there or you could put, you know, anything in those things. So that we wanted to keep like, that is not just the shoes, but the box and the packaging itself, right? And that even led to our thinking on the artwork where we wanted to do something where, you know, it, if you had a luxury brand, which we do, but what do other, what don't other luxury brands do? And it's like, well, who would do like a, who's crazy enough to do kind of artwork on the inside of the box? Who would, who would commission an artist from Istanbul to do that? And what we wanted to do is take that exact sort of, yeah, Sistine Chapel, that sort of beautiful. It's uh, the 16th chapel, Michael. Exactly. <laughs> I stand corrected. I think it's just coming to other age, you know, but look at this thing. It's just, it's just. Oh, you, I think you, is there different artwork in different boxes? No, they're, they're the oh, same. He's okay. an artist in Turkey that do it. And his okay. specialty is taking, he's actually a digital artist and it makes digital prints look like watercolor. Yeah. And we just thought wow. that was going to be epic, right? Just and so gorgeous. If you look at the website too, the way the website works, it's the same artwork, but each cherub is doing something different. It's a little bit more apparent on the, in the digital version than it is in the inside box, but each cherub has little kind of, modern things whether it's a watch a headband uh, a well, tattoo and, and then and traditional like shoemaking stuff yeah. in there we sort of wanted it all combined mm. oh interesting i'm going to pay more attention to that detail now yeah. um diving diving and and let's not forget that it comes with an extra pair of laces which is actually a very valuable and well, um and an appreciated touch I, the, the extra laces almost seem like a higher quality like to me, almost red as like an elevated lace compared to what was actually on the shoe. Can you talk about the different, are they the same laces, just a different color or, okay. Same lace, different color, but the, the edge is painted. So that's actually painted. They actually do hand painting on that on a sort of a roller oh machine. Oh my gosh. 
it's not a printed lace. It's not a you know something that just comes off easily. You know, yeah. off the line easily. When we select so, so, one, you guys are kidding, right? With this art <laughs> art lace that you're making, like don't you have any reason that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you must have had a lot of moments where they, you know, you left them scratching their head um, in excitement, but also bewilderment. Um, but, you know, like the the whole thing to me, um, you know, I'm wondering how long it took you to conceive the actual brand and what came first. I, I mean, of course, the idea is first of what the end goal is. But did you go about designing the shoe or the brand? Two first, I think. But I think one, it's a tough question. Yeah. I think... We designed the shoe first, but in the the whole time we had the brand in our minds, right? We knew what we wanted to achieve. Um, we knew exactly what we wanted the brand to look like. Sometimes it's harder to get it from, you know, your brain to your mouth to three dimension. Um, the shoe was certainly the, the, the precursor to everything, right? The shoe was the first thing we went to. Definitely. But I think just from, you know, the brands that we've both worked at, you can't think about the product without thinking about the brand. You know what I mean? It's like... It's you have to sort of formulate that whole. Uh, it's the world, right? You know, yeah, it's the world of of what we wanted, you know, to accomplish. It's it is this new concept, and how does that look? How does that? How do people relate to that? And and sort of the entire experience, right? Yeah. Of of visiting the website. I mean, we were very intentional about really everything that we did <laughs> with the shoe with the packaging with the website, how you experience it, how, you know, and then further with like, you know, sometimes you need to get out of your own way. And we partnered with red antler in Brooklyn and those guys, we needed, you know, you could, we sat and talked about it at length and over and over and over. And we said, hold it. We need to, you know, sort of back up here and get some, somebody else's opinion in here. Um, Notice that Emily Hayward was uh, following both you and the brand, so that was a dead giveaway. I was going to ask you about Red Antler. Um, yeah, we're the first footwear brand since Allbirds, right? I was going to ask because, yeah. you know, they're known for their work, of course, in the technology sphere. Um, and I'm wondering if that was, um, you know, a, a strategic decision of yours, or do you just like their aesthetic and, the, the you know, the cleanliness of their design that you've seen on digital? Uh, what we liked was the, their ability to think differently. Um, and what we brought, we kind of, we brought the same thing to the table, I think both on both sides, we challenged them to totally undo everything that they had thought before. And we challenged them because we're, we wanted to get very messy with it. And we said, whatever your conventions were in the beginning, we think it's different. And we needed that same partner and we needed somebody to say like, forget everything you guys have learned over the last 20 years of your career. This is what you need to be doing. So it was a really, really good partnership, and it was really uh, free-flowing in ideas, uh, very messy at times, um, but it's they are phenomenal partners to us. Phenomenal. I mean, they're friends for life. You yeah. know, it's incredible what they've done for us. So, look, I, I mean, the, the, let's, let's – I'm, I'm running on the assumption based on your word that the, the quality standards from everything from the materials to the construction is just, I mean, through the roof, and, and that's obvious in, in, in our conversation. Now, if this new category that you're spawning, essentially luxury performance sneakers, is a success, you are going to have a lot of large companies, some that you may have worked with in the past, um, clamoring to join the category or join the herd. 
how are you thinking about the defensibility of this brand and expansion as you go into your initial market penetration? I think that's a, we've thought a lot about that. And, you know, if you look at the impetus, if you use, let's go from the luxury brands first, right? They have no impetus to really put technology or performance into their, into their businesses. They're, they're, they're doing pretty well doing what they're doing right now, right? You know, I've worked at Prada. I know exactly what those ingredients are. We look at the, I think you look at kind of where their inspiration comes from. There is no incentive for them to change their model. And I would say the same thing for the big three or four athletic brands. I don't think that their, you know, stock is going to suffer. And when you look at, or is going to improve, let's say, they're going to get substantial upside by going up in price point. If you look at the majority of the big athletic brands, the they sell shoes from about 60 bucks is where they really start to make a lot of money, right? The 50 to $60 range at Kohl's, at Dick's, you know, at those places where it's large volume. So, you know, the numbers are small in terms of what your parage would be. You know, if you read Matt Powell, Matt Powell will tell you Nike has to make 25 pairs of shoes every second of every day of every year to keep their stock price at the same. So for them to make 10,000 pairs of an $800 shoe, I, my opinion, I, I could be wrong, right? They, they can do what they want with their brand. But for those guys that do that, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense from a time, resource, anything. I think if you were a shareholder there, you'd say like, why are you guys wasting your time on that? We have bigger fish to fry. Can, can you paint a picture for us? Um, what is the goal of the brand? You know, everyone has a different intent in terms of what their ideal vision is for themselves, their lifestyle, and of course, what they're, what they're building. Uh, so where, where do you want to see this ultimately? We're on a constant like pursuit to just find new stuff, better stuff. Like, you know, we're, we're constantly looking for new technologies, new, um, new things. And we just, I mean, there are a million things we want to make, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so we really wanted to build this as kind of a, a lifestyle brand, right. That can, you know, whatever our, you know, shoes are our, passion, I would say, and, you know, where we have a really pretty good expertise, you know, we love bags, we love, we love all sorts of products. So, you know, I think we'll, you know, we're in development on a lot of new things. Um, I think what she's saying is global domination. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're looking at large, a large lifestyle brand versus uh, boutique luxury um, or high end um, stuff. Things, it sounds really kind of, I don't know, elementary, but when you work for bigger brands, sometimes you don't wake up every day and you're not incredibly proud of the product that you made because you had to make so many sacrifices to get it to a certain price point. And that's not a position we would like to be in, right? We're incredibly proud of what we make and we wake up every day and say like, damn right, we made that, right? And your experience with the unboxing, like even the tiny little details, we are so thrilled to do that. So that's not, you know just in shoes, right? You could apply that in anything you do in life and you could apply it across every category. So, you know, let's start there. I, I want to wake up every day and be insanely inspired and incredibly proud of what we put out in the, in the world and what people can do. And, and what is the, the path? What's your, uh, what's your path to market penetration? Are you doing a, a, like a dual pronged approach where you're doing traditional wholesale uh, and retail uh, in, in combination with direct to consumer? That's the million dollar question these days, right? I think 
Right now, we're we're digitally native, right? We're we're totally direct, and it's uh, it's been in our model the whole time to do uh, have some retail partners. One of the things we're just kind of watching is who, you know, a year ago people would have said like, "You guys would be perfect for Barney's," and we would have said, "Yeah, yeah," but you know, so we're just sort of watching that with a, just to see how it falls out, see where people are going. I think yeah. there are some really good partners for us out yeah. there, and we would. Love nothing more to do that, but out of the gate, it's also good for us to control our own brand image and say, "This is who we want to be. These are the consumers mm. we want to target." Um, mm. It's been interesting from a marketing standpoint. Uh, we probably could lean into this one heavy. Is that over the last 120 days, you know, through lockdown, through um, you know, COVID times, it, marketing has radically changed. Right, where you look at some of the tactics that maybe you could employ as a as a startup. Half a year ago, you can't now because you're getting muscled out by big brands with big money, all deploying the same tactics because there's only a few things working right now, right? So that's where you have to get a little bit creative. Honestly, we spend an inordinate amount of time brainstorming new creative ways to reach the consumer, right? Using technology, using, you know, or even, even on the flip side, maybe there's an analog play for us. Maybe we're going back in time and saying, hold it, everyone else is, you know, got Zoom fatigue and iPhone fatigue, and maybe we want to go back and do a postcard in your mailbox, right? I, you know, that's what we, we debate on a regular basis here. Yeah, that's, a, that's super interesting. I, I'm wondering, I mean, we generally invite the guests on this show to uh, talk through what type of folks they're looking to connect with uh, towards the end. But I am wondering, um, as you're building out the strategy, like who are you looking to connect with? Are you looking to connect with media uh, of course, you have a, a you know you're engaging with uh, factory PR, which you know I, I also identify as being the creme de la creme of PR. Uh, so you're working with Red Antler, you're working with factory PR. These are these are known names to me. Um, you know you uh, so you have that handled. Uh, you may have an influencer strategy, you may have a retail strategy, you may be thinking about innovation in terms of the uh, the sales cycle and your online experience, like where. There's so much to grapple with, um, being that you just launched uh, just a matter of the last, uh, as you mentioned, 120 days or so. So where where are you in the thinking of, holy crap, what do we do on a week-to-week, month-to-month? That's exactly where we are, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, I don't have a real – I don't think we have a real answer for it. I, it's – you have to be the, – the best part about being a startup and being, you know – young and startup planets, we're nimble. So I think that's the best thing we can do. We talk, yeah, we talk a lot about being nimble and not necessarily. And open-minded. Yeah. Like we're just, you know, we're listening a lot. We're observing a lot. We're. We talk to everybody. We talk to everybody. It's, it's, um, yeah. It's weird because the assumptions that you made when you launched, and that's not that long ago, are, have quite frankly just gone out the window. So you have to be able to say like, hold it. What we thought we knew in December and February is not actually true. Or, you know, people that have gone into an influencer strategy. We just heard this. We had a call the other day with some friends, and they said, like, a certain big tech brand is going to spend $100 million on influencers in 2021. You know, as a startup, how do you compete with that? Like, you can't. You're hoping to get some organic stuff, and it's like these guys are paying, you know, absurd amounts of money for them to whatever, hold a phone or tell you have free Wi-Fi or whatever it might be. So, you have to be creative, and I think that's kind of where we're at. We're at a very, like, holy crap, how do you cut the noise? But yeah. we're also quite, I don't know, we're uh, we're thrilled about the opportunity for that because we're, 
where everyone congregates leaves a vacuum someplace else for you to well, that's exactly right. Like you, you're not building a product or a, a market that is where everyone is. You're not a mass consumer product, um, which allows you then to engage in like kind of micro influence, um, you know, touch points, whether that be in, uh, you know, niche media or, um, you know, actually I should say everything's niche media for you because even an influencer to me is media, right? Ones that are effective that could, that can inspire conversion. That's, that's media. Um, so I hate using influencer because it almost belittles their their value and what they've created in terms of uh, you know their their effectiveness. But you know, uh, yeah, that I feel like you know when you hear about a big tech company putting pouring a hundred million dollars into influencer, that that has zero bearing on what I would do if I were you know in in your shoes in terms of like ah, in your shoes. Um, you know, just trying to trying to trying to identify those um, you know those touch points with your with your target market. I feel like it's even more attainable, uh, given the ability to search out these folks. Yeah, and I think you know an overriding thing for us is that we just want it all to feel very authentic. Like it's just, I don't know. We go a lot with our gut. If it doesn't feel mm -hmm. right to us, we're like, eh, let's you know, let's think of something else or. You know, just even like our lifestyle um, photo shoots that we did, mm -hmm. we really we called upon friends and that we admire, that inspire us, that are doing all different sorts of things, whether, you know, I think they're mostly entrepreneurs and doing yeah. just cool things and they're cool people and we wanted to show that and yeah. how they use our product and... Um, and it just felt right, yes. right? And it just, it represents kind of who we are. I mean. Yeah, the eclectic nature of who we are. The right. Yeah. <laughs> well, like all different walks of life, which we yeah. love, constantly inspired by them. And uh, But the other thing we talked about, even from that, is like we had a photo shoot where we had, we introduced some friends to people, to other friends who didn't know each other. And it's like you're, someone said, your circle of love just went one more, one more ring out. Yeah means a lot to us right you want your family to grow and you want your brand to be that have that familiar feel where it's like if somebody's going to buy an 800 dollars product from us from the two of us you want to know like who's behind it what, mm. what our beliefs are or you know for us it means a lot that somebody spent a lot of money on the shoe but it's also is almost agnostic in terms of money i always think that if you spent 9.99 or nine thousand dollars the idea that you bought my product that we dreamed at four in the morning um this is fascinating, right? It's the greatest thing on earth. And so that's what we want people to be part of our course or family, right? And that, that's why we use friends in it. And we want that to continue on no matter how big. What thoughts following up with that, Michael, what thoughts have you had about how you could uh, purposefully create a contained community of people that have engaged with your product? For example, uh, Hey, good news! You 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 bought a pair of coursers. You are now invited to something that you feel like you you are in an elite circle with, mm -hmm. and who knows who may have bought these shoes, and and you're just some 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 young guy from Illinois, and suddenly you could be in this group with who knows. Yeah the the one thing we've kind of learned throughout our careers is, is good products have no boundaries, right? And so right. that's all price diagnostics. And so we'll, one of the things we a lot of times we don't talk about is just demographics. You have no idea who's going to buy your shoe. If you make That's a great it. product, it, it finds its way to the, a totally different segment. I always tell this story when I was at Prague, we, I made these boots over the knee boots. I did an in-person appearance at Nordstrom one out in Seattle. 
I was certain it was going to be, you know, some 20 something girls over the knee boots. And instead it was like some 60 year old woman. And they were like, these are the greatest boots ever. I, I was like, whoa, I'd never, yeah. it was awesome. It was so inspired from that moment. I was like, wait, I got to change my thinking here because it's just good product finds its way to everybody. Right. And so the one thing we've talked about here is we want to have a, I think the thing that happens in luxury is those brands are cold and they don't have that personal relationship. And that's what we want. And we, we don't want to be, yeah. we're exclusive by price alone. Right. So that's to save up for it or whether you have it or you don't have those, those things are exclusive, the price of it. But the idea that you own it or you want to be part of a community, we want that. We want to build that. Right. We want to be that yeah. family. We want to be the warm luxury brand. Yeah. You know, with the idea mm -hmm. of giving out personal cell phone numbers is the as the concierge of the customer service until Lori told me that was one of the worst ideas I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, we still wanted to do that. And, but then we have um, our concierge who are two absolutely lovely women. And they were like, no, just, yeah, what will, we got know, it. We know that you're accessible. If, That's right. If but you get really the idea, get right? Yeah. Like, you want to, I don't think we need to be exclusive by, you know, our, uh, how we behave or, you know, have firewalls or paywalls or password protected things. I don't like that feeling, right? I want to be inclusive. part inclusive and not exclusive. And it, by nature, the product yeah. might be exclusive just because of its price point. But, it, you know, I think one of the brands that does it really well, we talked about this too, is that if you look at Porsche, very few people can obtain a Porsche in their life. But everyone has the desire to and everyone feels like they could. And if you talk about most People that are like car nerds, they'll be like, oh, my dream car is a 911. My dream car is a 911. And Porsche never lets that out. That's a very warm, you know, couple hundred thousand dollar car that, you know, not that many people own. And I think that's a really nice model to have. And I think it's like to be inclusive, mm -hmm. we want to be. I would love if people stopped us on the street and said, like, hey, those are the Porsche guys. Like, I'd like to talk to you guys. Man, I'll, I'll tell you, um, uh, spot on on the, uh, the, the 911 career. I'm, I'm going for a GT3 myself. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love Mark's thread over here in terms of, um, you know, the community side of things and how to en engage a warm luxury company. is in It's incredible. Now, you know, I, I recently uh, made a purchase from a, a beauty company called Avrani, uh, A-A-V-R-A-N-I. Uh, to give them some love because what I love about what they've been doing is they're, they're sending me now, um, you know, invitations to things like a mask and meditation, right? So using the products that I had purchased, also combining it with some influential, um, you know, um, health and wellness folks to provide experiences on a regular basis uh, at a, you know, at a, uh, an elective level where I could participate in that community and further engage in the brand. And, you know, it just, it, it holds my attention, uh, whether I could participate in those things or not. Um, I really do appreciate feeling yeah. involved in a part of something. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a really nice thread because <laughs> we talk a lot about this where, you know, you don't want to be, um, those people that are in somebody's inbox every day, like pounding them under. It's like, Hey, I got to get rid of these course. You guys are like pounding me under and, spam but at the same time yeah you want to be very inviting right so that's yeah. one of the things we've been talking a lot about we're going to do a um an online workout session with my gym s10 oh cool yeah we're going to do that for some we're going to do a test run with just some editors and some friends and kind of see how that goes and i think you know that's kind of what you're talking about right is like getting those kind of community building things which yeah. is absolutely important to us is yeah, mand I mean, mandatory attire you have to have your courses on to be in that workout you have to be in all black 
<laughs> All black. Man, Manhattan black, actually, is, uh, is the only mandate for that class. Uh, yeah, look, I, I, I love that. I, I think yeah. that that's, uh, you know, I think it's an important aspect of community build that, you know, brands don't necessarily leverage as much. It, this this discussion, by the way, um, you know, I think about your website as Courser World. You know, you're you're leading with the idea that it is a world. It isn't just a product. It isn't just a thing. The first thing on your website that you see is this animation of the dog and and all these things surrounding the dog and a sense of richness and luxury, richness and luxury and everything like that. And then you scroll down and you begin to see what the product is. And it, it certainly says that you are trying to aim there. It isn't about the product. It's about what the product means. But then there's the product to back it up. So what what I love what I love to do is sort of 180 on that a little bit and just maybe finish out this part of the conversation. Definitely don't want to miss out on talking about one of the big, bold statements on your website, which is about the strength of the material and how you're leading with that as one of your main statements about the sneakers. So it's, it's like luxury. It's not, it could be a shoe versus a sneaker and all of this communication this messaging which is awesome and and we echoed it but then there's like oh yeah by the way material what was it 15 times the strength of steel okay and still soft as butter which is which is true a hyper lux upper okay first of all please explain yourself and and tell us what that really means and is did you did you invent something did you discover something are you the first one to use it in this way um and and, and then also why are you talking about that uh i'm very interested i'm not saying that's wrong but what what made you decide that that was an important thing to talk about when it's about luxury not as much function is not the main messaging that you've been communicating or is that just sexy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of those. No, uh, we didn't invent the material, but we, it's a very underutilized material, right? And we, uh, I had worked with it a little bit at Toomey. Um, I was very familiar with it. it. It Originally, I think they designed the base layer of it, which is kind of what, it's a bonded material. So it's a new buck on the top of it. And when you reach inside the shoe, you'll feel there's a fiber in there. And that's a bonded material. So it's um, it's actually two layers, even though it's only 0.6 millimeters thick. So it's incredibly thin. It's lightweight. But the idea, you know, is born out of the, the thinking now is everyone's producing knit shoes, which are really bad for the consumer, let's say, but incredibly profitable for the companies. And, you know, I don't know why you have to turn, you know, buy six or eight pairs of shoes every year when you can only need maybe one, right? And I think when you look at the cost savings on that, there's something to be said for that. And the idea that there's a, there's materials out there that are incredibly strong, incredibly lightweight. They do all these different things that are fascinating to the consumer. That's what one of the reasons we got into this and started to make this is like, there's a million material. There's a million materials like this out there that the consumer should be enjoying and should be able to, you know, be able to participate in. And they're left on the scrap heap because it doesn't fit into this, tiny little Excel spreadsheet that somebody said like, sorry, that's too expensive. We have to continue to use the engineered knit that makes us 900 points of margin and we make 4 million pairs a month, you know, whatever it is. Right. I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. So that's kind of why we went about that. And we said, look, we have a material that we know about that we've used. It's proven. 
Um, and we're going to use it a little bit differently than everybody else does. Uh, I think the idea that it has this incredible buttery, buttery soft texture to it is mm-hmm. phenomenal, right? But then the idea is that you can't rip it. So you could puncture it, you could put a hole through it, but you can't rip it from any one direction, even if it has a hole through it. And that's why we perfed it. We did all kinds of crazy stuff with it. And our factory actually had to go out and get new cutting dies because the cutting dies that they had wouldn't mm-hmm. cut through it. You know, what you had uh, alluded to with uh, some of the larger brands is what I like to call planned depreciation. You know, um, they, they, they prop up their, their stock valuations because of the turn, right? Um, and, you know, like I've, I've always been told uh, for my ru- Nike running shoes is that every 300 miles or so, you should probably switch them out. And 300 miles for someone that's running is really not a long time. Um, again, that, that might be, um, you know, a conservative or, uh, you know, uh, estimate, but that's what I've been told, right? That's what I have in my head. That's perceived in my head. So, um, a lot of runners switch off between two or three different pairs because they have to rebound, right? So the, the material in the midsole and the outsole is it compresses and then you have to let it rebound. Um, so we address that with our, our new compound. A lot of people don't know that, right? Mm -hmm. look inside like where the medial post is in your shoe just behind the arch of your foot right it's a lot of times shoes are coming now that are completely compressed before you even wear them so they're all wrinkled and compressed but that's where the spot is and so if you run on a daily basis or if you work out on a daily basis those shoes need 24 hours for the for the midsole to come back to life to rebound they're compressed from you running in them this is why people have all kinds of injuries and you know heel problems or foot problems or whatever it might be right you know, I, I did the unboxing actually. Uh, so, as, as mentioned, uh, we're, you know, we're sharing a house with uh, some family members over here in um, in Marco Island, and I did the unboxing with uh, one of my cousins that um, you know she grew up in London. She worked at Selfridges and Harrods, uh, specifically within shoes. And you know, of course, she took a keen interest in what the hell is coming here? Why is it an eight hundred twenty five dollar running shoe? The first thing she noticed was the upper that it was one piece. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it's funny because then the next reaction is like, ah, it feels a little flimsy though. And, uh, you know, and then when we read about, you know, the 15 X of steel, um, so intentionally, so the material is, you know, inspired by NASA. I mean, then it all started to make sense. Um, you know, even talking through like the dust bag and the, the inside of the dust bag. I mean, she really went to town on inspecting every element of, um, of what would go into making this, um, you know, a luxury product. And I think it hit all the tones and we've never seen it in a performance shoe versus, you know, something that you would see on, you know, with, with a, with a stem on it or, you know, uh, uh, a leather sole. So truly really fascinating product. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to really give it some miles and, and see how it adapts to, to my style and my, you know, my shoe. Yeah, yeah, let us know. We're thrilled. I mean, I think the energy return, right? Some people said, like, why'd you put a carbon fiber plate in it? It's like, well, that's for energy return, right? And so I think there's all kinds of different... Energy return doesn't necessarily have to be for runners either, right? We've had a lot of people say, like, Mm -hmm. I stand at my feet all day at a computer. My feet have never felt better. We just got pinged by a celebrity trainer who said, I've had sponsorship deals with two very large brands, we'll name unnamed, for the last 20 years of my life. These are the best shoes I've ever had in my entire life. I don't know what you guys did here. What, what, what's the sole? Because yeah, you you mentioned a buttery texture. It, it sure is buttery. Um, like what? That's a proprietary compound. We went to yeah. the factory that we felt that does injection bottoms, and we said we want to do something totally different. Yeah, I mean this is this is a one piece 
mold, uh, of course. Yeah. Crazy. Actually, yeah, nice. they had to nice develop new, <laughs> new uh, technology to, to, for the injection of it because it's, it's a different compound. And yeah, we went with an idea and we went and said, like, look, this is the idea. You know, in Italy, a lot of times they're not challenged to do new things, even though they're, they, inc they really want to and they have the inspiration to. So, you know, if you're some of the larger luxury brands, you just basically make, you know, kind of capsules and you put them on there and you say, like, here's our capsule at the factory. And it's kind of like, eh, wah, wah. like they don't get challenged. And we have a challenge for you. We want to do a new yeah. compound. And by trade, they're chemical engineers. So they said, like, hold it. First of all, you guys have no idea what you're talking about because you're not a chemical engineer. <laughs> we said, yeah, but like, like yeah, but this is what we want. <laughs> that's what we want. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what we want here, right? So, and that's kind of what we want here. Yeah, and look, and, and and to end off on a, on a quick comment, uh, you know, like for folks that are talking through or have a you know sensitivity towards uh, purchasing products that are let's say sustainably uh, focused and minded, um, one thing that's often overlooked is the actual durability and the last of a product, and that's the most important thing. So I could find a fly knit, or I could find you know a three D four D printed um, you know Adidas that comes out. Um, but if I'm ripping through them, uh, it doesn't matter what the material that it's made out of or um, the, the fact that, it, you know, it took, you know, less amount of waste or time or export or import to to get it in your hands. Uh, the fact is that if I could, and, and again, um, you know, this is all on the assumptions, um, you know, but if, if I can assume that I can keep this for, you know, let's say 5x the amount of time or, or distance as a regular shoe, then that ends up being the sustainable angle that I'm looking for. That ends up being um, hitting my priorities as a participant in this, uh, in this world. So, um, you know, I, I just want to make sure that the folks that are listening that, you know, that generally look at uh, luxury as, um, as, as waste and opulence, um, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, if we're talking about countering it with true waste, then, um, you know, if, if I'm not throwing these out for a while, then, you know, that, that's exactly what we talk about all the time, right? And we said, you know, buy less, buy better, right? If you're buying six shoes at 200 bucks a year, that's a lot of waste. Where are they going? They don't break down. And in our sense, we're saying, buy one pair. You're fine. And that's that's been a big part of it. I think there's a lot of greenwashing that goes on in, in the sustainability concept and people mm -hmm. push out there. And, uh, you know, this has been our point since the beginning, right? Buy less, right. buy better. All right. On that note, uh, we'll break briefly and when we come back it's going to be time for off the grid questions with laurie and michael right after this facebook is about to launch their biggest update ever and since apple's ios 14 update facebook's been going crazy trying to combat this well they're about to get even crazier we want to make sure that you're prepared for all the changes coming down the pike. And our friends over at Sprake Media are here to help. From attribution window changes to measuring and tracking performance issues you're going to run into, the Sprague Media team will audit your account and give you the right custom strategy your brand needs. With their in-house content production studio, they can show you what kinds of ads and strategies are going to increase sales and customer acquisition here in 2021. So reach out to them at spraguemedia.com and ask about how they can audit your ads for free. Once again, that's spraguemedia.com, S-P-R-A-G-U-E-Media.com. 
Com. And now it's time for questions off the grid with fashion is your business. All right, everybody, we're time for one of our favorite parts of the show off the grid questions where we ask questions, frankly, a little more off the grid, a little more personal in nature. We get to know our the human side of our guests. And as always, we have to figure out the order of questions that we ask, we solve that with a spin of our good old friend, the Wheel of Grid Destiny. So uh, we will uh, spin that wheel. It's going round and round. And the first question is Pavan. All right. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll take a design um, oriented. I, I'm wondering, uh, you know, both Lori and Michael both. Um, answer it individually is the, you know, can you remember the first time uh, that you were influenced uh, or taken back by a product uh, because of its design? So that could be in childhood where you just saw something and you said, wow, that is, um, that's, that's impactful. The way that it made me feel was uh, outstanding. I can remember I was the exact age. I don't know, 12 ish, 13 ish. I grew up playing soccer, so I'm a soccer nerd. Patrick, pair of Patrick's, worn by Kevin Keegan, no question. Had a sawtooth bottom on it, silver stripes, forget it. I was hooked, like, <laughs> for life. And who knows, you know, I never really, this is funny, I haven't thought about it, actually, since you just me, but, like, that, that could be my impetus even to get into footwear, right? But that, no question, I had to have it. I can remember day after day begging for those shoes. No question. I got to have them. I got to have them. And that, at the time, you know, there was, that's all designed for because there was no soccer on TV. You weren't watching Kevin Keegan play, right? I, there weren't magazines. It just didn't have the prevalence that it does now that you see on, on the TV. So it was all design-driven, the local soccer shop in town. Right? It's like, whoa, man. You see that? <laughs> yeah, particularly in Philly, right? I mean, uh, we're not talking about being in a uh, you know, European uh, capital, like soccer capital. Uh, That's right, so, yeah. You know. I don't know. My, I feel like my answer should definitely be, I, I adore shoes, but my <laughs> first thing that came into my head, which I'm going with, which is really nerdy is, um, <laughs> uh, actually an Apple computer. My, when my dad, um, like growing up, my dad was a computer programmer and, and started his own software company. We were all from New York. They moved from Brooklyn to Vermont, and he started this business up there. And in the business, he had this computer room, which was like a giant room of computers that had to be kept at a certain temperature. And he would go in and like work during the night so that he could whatever. And then he came home with this Apple computer. And I'm trying to think of what the the number on it was or whatever. Like but it was like, I don't, yeah, it was... And we were all sort of looking at it and saying, like, so that does the same thing that your room of computer does? And now I'm making myself sound like I'm so incredibly old. But <laughs> I am dating myself. Uh, but the design of that was, like, it was just so simple and so, like. Isn't it amazing how of- it always comes back to Apple? <laughs> yeah, right. Literally. I mean. Apple, but I did. Yeah. The design attention that they have, and even if you want to talk about um, how this whole trend of unboxing has come about, I mean, everyone remembers unboxing their first, you know, iPod, right? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> iPod. It's exactly. incredible. Just the way yeah. that it fit, everything. Is, yeah. yeah. Incredible. 
All right, another spin of the wheel. And of course, it comes to me. So uh, my question is, uh, both of you have traveled extensively, yes, um, over time. Um, what I would love is to know, as you're traveling through the airport by yourself, when that happens, uh, although I imagine, by the way, we glossed right over the fact that the two of you are married, right? <laughs> so we just didn't even go there at all. So so, um, so there's that whole dynamic. We just skipped right over this whole process. Uh, that could be its own, own show. Like to be yeah, married and building a company. Exactly. <laughs> um, but... But yeah, which parts which parts of the sneaker did you agree on, and which were thought over? Uh, and but what I like to know is as you as you go different places, the times when you have traveled together, um, what is the music that you are most likely to settle on as you're you're turning on music? to you know uh let's say in the car wherever you are or like what's what what are you both going to agree on for, for the soundtrack of your travels great question. that is a great question. so music absolutely moves us as a family right we listen to music nonstop. we've actually done throughout our daughter's life she's now 10 we've done like we'll do tutorials of different bands different genres <laughs> and, and, and she Actually, her knowledge of music is pretty mind-blowing. It moves her as well. She loves to sing. She's loved, I mean. She likes to perform. She likes to perform. She's, um, and she's really gotten into it. I mean, she just, you know, we've done everything. I don't know how we pick one. Like, we did a Beastie Boys tutorial. She can, like, she well, knows. She raps like crazy. <laughs> she raps like crazy. She knows, I mean. Oh, we do Wu Tang, we do, we do, we do yeah. Oasis, we do Cat Stevens. I, I don't know. How do we pick a, a jazz? Yeah, I've we do a lot of jazz. We I, always have jazz on at dinner. I would tell. I could probably answer it a different way. Is we're like yang and yang uh, to answer even like go back to working. Like I need music pounding all the time. I pace. I walk. I talk in a million miles an hour. And Lori's more the silent type. She writes everything down. I never write a single thing down. So we travel probably similar to that. Um, so she uses a map and you don't? Is that how it goes? Yeah. <laughs> how do you know how to get there? I'm like, I'm just winning. I know. Like, we'll, we'll go somewhere. That'll be cool, too. I have the directions written down. You, gotta, you have to ask somebody. I'm like, eh, I don't want to ask anybody. They, I don't know. We always have some good content. So we always have jazz rolling. But at the same time, on the flip side, we always have, whether it's, you know, Beastie Boys, we rage against the machine pounds out of here sometimes. A lot of it just depends on the mood. We, we do a lot of playlists. We do a million um, playlists. And we actually... Just, we just did a new one for Courser. Send it off to you. Yeah, we just... Beautiful. I would love to yeah. follow that uh, yeah. playlist. Yeah. Actually. Absolutely. That's awesome. We birthday party every year. Like, cool. We to send home a playlist a with playlist. everybody. We'll give you a thumb drive with, the, with our playlist. That's so cool. Yeah. All right. There's not much we don't like. Actually. No, we like it all. Yeah, we literally like just it all. Just depends yeah. on our mood. Depends on the mood. I'm so I, I'm so happy I asked that question. That was that was such a great answer. I learned so much about you just through that process. That's great. All right, uh, the magic of off the grid questions, Pavan. That's that's why we do.
All right. Other than giving out your personal cell phone number, which we have already discussed that topic, what is the best way for people to connect with you, both connecting with the brand and given that our audience is a B2B show, uh, to whatever degree you want to invite people to reach out directly, whether that's email, LinkedIn, social, whatever. Yeah. All of those, right? We found since launching this, I can't, I didn't realize I was on every platform until I started getting like all these messages. Yeah. Wait a second, everyone's hitting me up. And, and I actually haven't been on many yeah. platforms. So now I'm like, okay, I guess I got to get on some of these platforms. Yeah, <laughs> it's been I, you know, like I didn't realize I was going to be, I mean, I'm a, I text all the time. I DM all the time, but I didn't realize it was going to explode like that. My LinkedIn has exploded. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, I forgot I had a Twitter handle, didn't I? Like, so it's like all these different things. Yeah. Uh, best way for the brand, concierge at coursebrand.com. It's probably the best way right, for the brand, or you can always email us. We're easy. I'm Michael at CourserBrand.com. She's Lori at CourserBrand.com. Hit us up. We're always available. I think I'm happy to give out my phone number. I, I, I love it. <laughs> Great. That's right. <laughs> I think we just witnessed one of those yin and yang moments there, Pubbin. So, um, well, anyway, uh, uh, Michael and Lori, uh, First of all, uh, thank you again for the experience of your sneaker. Uh, I, I'm so excited, like Pavan said, to to give it, you know, more and more uh, uh, attention. Um, so great to meet you both. What a what an incredible brand and product you've you started building, and I'm I'm just so excited to see where you take this and what is possible from it, and the ideas that unfold, the creativity that unfolds almost like a piece of artwork that you're constructing in and of itself. So uh, congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thrilled to be on great. here. It's fun. Have us back. Come on. <laughs> we've, we've, I will find a way. Uh, that is it for this episode of fashion is your business. Uh, thank you to Michael and Lori and thanks to all of you for listening and sticking with us all the way through here. We, we really, really do appreciate it. You should check out Courser. And you should definitely come back next week when we'll have another great episode with with, uh, some other great guests. Uh, Until then, for Pub and Ball. Thanks, folks. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. Listening.